Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When Omicron first appeared just weeks before Christmas, Ireland was still fighting the Delta wave. Omicron is spreading at a rate we have not seen with any previous variant. We are likely to see infections at a rate that is far in excess of anything we have seen to date. While case numbers skyrocketed, reaching a peak of more than 26,000 in a single day in early January, the worst case scenario projections for the health service never happened. And now, with case numbers beginning to fall, there is a feeling, a hope maybe, that the worst could be behind us. We may be looking into the future where COVID becomes a seasonal virus that we deal with every year and it'll be treated maybe in the same way as flu. It's not saying the virus is the same as flu, but we might treat it in the same way. Talk has now shifted from fresh lockdowns and more restrictions to fully reopening the country. What I want to see, what we all want to see is the quickest possible return to normal life. I'm Conor Pope and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today is the end of the pandemic in sight. Simon Carswell is the Irish Times public affairs editor. Simon, can we start with a Covid update? How many people are in hospital? How many of them are in ICU? And how many people have died as a result of Covid in recent days? Well, as of Monday evening, there were just over a thousand people with COVID in hospital. Now, and that includes 97 in ICUs. That's slightly up on previous days when the number in hospital fell below a thousand and the number in ICU is up slightly. It's increased by nine. But generally, the hospitalizations and ICU admissions have not uh, translated from the high levels of cases. Lots of cases, lots of infections and an extraordinary level of infections, about between one in 20 and one in 10 of the population had an active infection last week, which is just extraordinary. But thankfully, that has not translated into hospitalizations. The data on deaths is not quite as up to date. The most recent data that we have is for the week to January 11th. So not last week, but the previous week. And there were 22 deaths in that week. Now, Neffa did say last Wednesday that they were notified of an additional 83 deaths. But some of those deaths predate last week. There is often a lag um, in the reporting of deaths from COVID-19. But we did pass a, a pretty sad um, milestone last week. We, we passed 6,000 deaths. So it's risen to 6,035 deaths in total for the pandemic. 
while there have been record infection rates, um, the Omicron variant that took off in this fifth wave, it's been much more benign. It's just not led to the same level of severe disease. Mm. And that seems to be because Omicron is very good at infecting the upper airways, but is not good at getting down into the lungs and causing more severe infection. So that's positive. And last week, certainly, Neffet did seem to be a little bit more upbeat. Now, they were cautious. I'd say they were cautiously optimistic. And while they didn't want to say at that stage that the peak of the Omicron wave had passed yet, they were saying that there was signs suggesting that it had. Since then, we've certainly seen the figures come down, which would suggest that the peak of infections has passed. And that's even including these self-reported positive antigen tests now that people between the age of four and 39, they don't need a confirmatory PCR. So even including those self-reported positive tests, it appears that the wave has passed. So it looks like we're kind of at or at least very near the beginning of the end of this Omicron wave. Well, that's obviously good news. Now, with the case numbers declining, are the calls for an end to the restrictions or at least an easing of the restrictions sooner rather than later getting louder? Yeah, they are. TDs have been pressing the government to end this 8pm curfew on pubs, restaurants and other hospitality, be it theatres, cinemas, indoor settings like that. And certainly there are hopes with these more positive figures on COVID that the government will be able to announce that restrictions can be lifted on a recommendation from NEFIT and, and that is expected this week. And I think we will see changes to the curfew and that might increase to midnight closing, which is where we were last November before we felt the impact of the fourth wave, the Delta wave. And I think there's an expectation that there will be a relaxation on limits on the number of people who can attend indoor events, including the likes of weddings. And I think we'll see big changes to capacity on outdoor events, which would be welcome news for rugby fans with the Six Nations starting on February 5th with the Ireland-Wales game. On other areas, I think that the return of nightclubs might take a little longer, but that's not quite clear yet what's going to happen there. And I think you're going to likely see talk of a phased return to the office from next month. Now, the timing on these changes isn't clear. The current restrictions are scheduled to run until January 30th. Now, Neffet did say to the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, in its most recent letter that those restrictions should remain until that date. But will NEFA change its view at its meeting this week? It's going to have a much clearer epidemiological picture of what's happening with COVID in the country. And if they do recommend it, will Cabinet meet more quickly to sign off on the easing of restrictions? I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. But really what we're going to be looking for next uh, from NEFIT this week is a clear statement that the Omicron wave has peaked and that we can soon start easing those restrictions. Now, speaking of those restrictions, all of hospitality, including restaurants, pubs, cinemas, theatres, they all have to close at 8pm. Do we have any hard data to say what risk a pub or a restaurant or a cinema staying open until midnight rather than 8pm poses? Well, there's really never been a lot of hard data on this from the get-go. I mean, and this has been a source of some frustration for the hospitality sector. There's certainly been no data on this since last summer, given the fact that contact tracing of cases to see where infections have have materialised. That contact tracing has been all but abandoned, really. So we've no clear picture of, of, of the number of cases that are coming from those settings. In general terms, and this was the, behind the decision making on the APM curfew, the thinking was that if people stay later in pubs and restaurants, they're more likely to drink more and therefore more likely to have the lack of self-discipline to be able to social distance from others, to wear masks if you're walking about the restaurant, or the, you know, going to the bathroom, for going to the toilet, for example. And generally people get in closer proximity when they have more drink on them. So that allows the virus to spread. And that was kind of the rough thinking behind the APM curfew. 
And also the 8pm curfew by its nature means that people, fewer people will mix because fewer people will want to go out if they can't have a meal or can't go to the pub mm. after 8pm. So that's kind of the thinking behind it. Now there's talk of another round of boosters for vulnerable people. Certainly voices in the nursing home sector are calling for that. Do you think that's likely to happen? And if it does happen, are we in danger of getting locked into a never-ending cycle of booster shots and waning immunity and then more booster shots? I think this is a tricky one and the timing is important. Um, there is concern within the nursing home sector. We've seen a very substantial increase in the number of outbreaks in nursing homes. It was 56 new outbreaks last week, which was a worry. Now, thankfully, the outbreaks are small and they are not as severe as the outbreaks that we saw in previous waves, thankfully. Everyone's kind of looking to Israel. Israel has been this country that we've been watching because they're ahead of every other country in vaccinations. Israel started giving out fourth doses in the autumn to people aged over 60. And it's, yes, it's it certainly helped in terms of preventing uh, serious disease. But just yesterday, there was new research out of Israel, which showed that fourth doses actually don't do great at preventing people getting infected with Omicron. Now, the boosters have done a very good job at protecting people from getting seriously ill, preventing them from getting into hospital. And Dr. Tony Holland has said that they've, they've really held up very well at preventing serious illness. But he's also said we need to be careful about rushing into this kind of, as you said, never ending cycle of booster shots. And he's asked the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, which sets out how we do our vaccinations. He's asked them to sketch out what a future vaccination programme should look like. So will it be regular boosters, maybe for the elderly and medically vulnerable, or will there be an annual COVID vaccine, like an annual flu jab? So I think there's another issue as well as vaccines are developed and get better and get more effective, I think there will be a move towards less regular jabs, less regular boosters uh, as the as the vaccines get better. But I think we are going to see, perhaps in the run-up to winter every year to the cold season, a booster or a COVID vaccine like we would get a flu vaccine. But again, that all needs to be mapped out and I think we have a clearer picture of what that might uh, look like in the coming weeks and months. And it emerged this week that there's hundreds of thousands of vaccine doses in Ireland which are set to expire at the end of this month. How has that been allowed to happen? And do we have a plan to maybe fast track vaccines for people here or possibly distribute those vaccines to other countries where they might be needed? Well, the HSE has said there's between about 400,000 and 500,000 doses due to go out of date over the next two weeks. So if you do the figures and based on the current uptake, we could see about 220,000 doses expire by the end of the month. And the reason for this is really the pace of the booster vaccine program has slowed. Um, fewer people are getting coming forward to get their boosters as it goes through younger age groups. So, for example, last week, there was only about 60% of 40-somethings had their booster. And as you go even lower, it's uh, in the age groups, the take-up is, is, even, is even less. It's 44% of 30-somethings and 33% of 20-somethings. So that's why there are so many of these excess vaccines sitting there. There's a challenge in that they've already been distributed to the vaccine centres, to GPs and to pharmacies. So it's very difficult to get them back. There will be a push, I think you'll see, and there certainly is every week from the HSE people and from the government encouraging people to come forward to get their boosters. And there's estimated to be about 700,000 people who have yet to receive their booster doses. And that's a complication too, because so many people were infected over the last month. So let's say I was waiting to get my booster and I caught COVID in early January. I cannot now get my booster for three months. So that's going to be a reason behind why there are so many vaccines, booster vaccines out there that can't be taken. So 
there's a lot of challenges with that. And I think uh, part of the problem is, is that it's just down to the fact that there's been a whole lot of infection and, and that's going to be a difficulty. But also, I think you're going to see an additional push to try and get more younger people boosted in the coming weeks if they can. Ireland has managed the pandemic uh, well and I want to thank our healthcare workers uh, and the Irish public for all that they've done to make that possible um, but I also do think we're coming to the point where we also need to move on. Um, I'll be pushing for uh, a more ambitious uh, and a quicker reopening over the next couple of months. That's the tonnage to speaking there saying that we need to move on. What does moving on look like do you think? Do you think by the summer might the pandemic be behind us? I think moving on will be a return to some kind of normal, I I would describe it. I think the restrictions will be eased, but I think there will be a continuation of some public health measures. I think they'll be much slower to go. So I think we'll be wearing masks for some time, perhaps after restrictions are lifted. And, and I think we'll be wearing better masks. There's been this move to for people to wear medical grade masks. Those are the blue masks that people would see in hospitals. And then these FFP2 respirator masks, those are the kind of white ones that look like a duck's bill. I think we're going to see more of that and we're going to see mask wearing continue for some time. But I think we will see on the vaccination side, we'll see a more definitive plan for how vaccinations would be used and when boosters would be rolled out. So I think it will be kind of go slow approach. I think we will see the restrictions eased and phased out slowly. I'm not sure we will ever see a return from remote working fully. I think it has shown during the pandemic that for even for work life balance reasons. Not everyone needs to be sitting in a car for hours every day dealing with a commute and don't need to be in an office in person five days a week. So I think some aspects of what we have done in the pandemic will remain. But I think there will be some kind of move to a type of normal with one major caveat, I would say. And I think the caveat is, is will another variant emerge? And that's the big worry. Coming up, Professor Christine Losher on what the science is telling us about the course of the pandemic. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Christine, I suppose the question that everybody wants answered is, has the current wave of the COVID-19 virus peaked and are we through the worst of it? 
Yeah, so I think we've lots of reason to be optimistic that we have indeed passed the peak. And I think there's a few kind of numbers that feed into that. One is that our case numbers seem to be dropping even when we add in the antigen testing. There's PCR testing available, even though I know that there's a huge age cohort that are not availing of PCR testing. It seems to have freed up the system. And if there was more people using it, we'd be finding more cases, but we're not. The other thing is the positivity rate really seems to have started to decline over the last couple of days. And then another big indicator is that GPs on the ground are reporting that they're getting less calls for referrals um, and less people ringing with symptoms. So all of those would indicate that we're certainly not in a climb anymore and in fact are more likely to be in a decline. And I suppose the other thing that feeds into that is that the numbers were probably far higher than the 20,000 we were ever mm. measuring. Um, so the fact that the numbers have come down into the teens at the moment, I think, is a really good indicator. So I'd be fairly optimistic that we are past the peak and on a decline. And of course, another reason for optimism is that it now seems certain that the Omicron variant has not led to a surge in very sick people. So does that mean in a way this new variant turned into a good news story for the world. Yeah, so I suppose like the big holding of breath that happened in December was, you know, when the case numbers started to rise about how this would impact on hospital numbers and ICUs. And even though we were getting reports from South Africa and the UK that it was appearing to be a milder manifestation of an infection in most people, we were still kind of holding out as to whether that would ring through here. And I suppose the race was on to try and boost people in order to kind of decrease severity of infection and also try and minimise breakthrough infection. So certainly it appears for the most part in general to be milder. We're hearing lots of really good reports, particularly in the last couple of days. A lot of, you know, doctors from inside hospitals have put information out there saying they're certainly seeing less severity of disease so it's not just a general perception. These are people on the ground that are dealing with patients. So um, lots of patients that are in hospital picked up COVID while they were in there or just COVID is an incidental. It's not the reason why they're there. So we're certainly seeing a really distinct uncoupling of hospitalizations and ICUs from case numbers, which is not what we've ever seen before with any of the other variants. There's always been a much closer relationship. So in lots of ways, you know, people are kind of asking the question, yeah, like, does this mean this was a good thing? Lots of people would say, look, we've had hundreds of thousands of people like infected over the last uh, six weeks. That's never a good thing. It's never a good thing when we think about the still the lack of understanding that we have about the virus and the long term effects. And we're seeing a lot more research coming through on long COVID, for example. But in terms of switching to a variant that's more manageable, that's not impacting our lives the way the other variants did. That's what I would say is the good news story about this variant, that it's given us an insight into what it might be like to have COVID in our lives, but not the detrimental impact that the other variants had. So I think that's probably the good news story that I'm taking from Omicron and I suppose the caveat there is, is that there are still going to be people who will get this infection that will do very poorly. You mentioned long COVID there. Is it too early in the story to get a sense of just how severe the impact of long COVID might be? Yeah, I mean, I still think we're too early, certainly with Omicron, to see if it's behaving any differently than the other variants. So we know a good bit about the other variants in terms of there's probably between 2 and 10%, depending on the age group, that we are seeing 
long COVID, which essentially is a lingering of symptoms long after infection subsides. And much research now is kind of focused on trying to understand this a little bit better. Is it a chronic inflammation? Is it because the virus has travelled to other parts of the body and is causing a lot of difficulty? And a couple of papers have come out and actually said it kind of hangs around actually for a long time in other parts of the body. We're very concerned about cardio and neurological effects uh, longer term. There's a lot more connections between viruses and, and other types of I suppose, issues that people deal with in the longer term. So the thing that I suppose is too early to call is whether because Omicron appears to be milder and that's combination, not just of the fact that the virus is behaving a bit differently, but also the fact that our boosters have given us that kind of degree of immunity. It's a bit early to say whether that means that there's going to be less lingering symptoms and less long COVID. So I think the jury is still a little bit out on that particularly if the rationale for long COVID is about the virus impacting other areas of the body rather than just an underlying chronic inflammation. So, Christine, as the booster programme continues, we're hearing calls for a fourth booster for some cohorts. We're hearing the call from the nursing home sector in particular. Do we know if there's any dangers attached to frequent boosters? Or do we have any idea of what the long-term consequences of multiple boosters could be? I don't think we're ever going to be in a situation where there's going to be a potential negative effect of boosters in terms of, like your immune system is exposed to lots of things in everyday life over and over again. And you get a little boost of your immune system every time Mm. you're exposed to the same pathogen. So from that point of view, in terms of your immune system, it's not that it would represent a danger. And there is a degree of time between boosters to allow the immune system to come back to a, a stable kind of a, a balanced situation. Um, get lots of boosters for lots of things throughout life and you can get them several times. There's no real issue there. Mm. I suppose the real question is, should we keep on boosting to a variant that the vaccine is not specific for? And I think that's kind of more the question is, if we're going to continue boosting Do we wait for vaccines that are tweaked and therefore a little bit more specific against the current variant or what might come next rather than continuing to give the immune system, I suppose, a boost of immunity to the original strain? Because we know from research that while the antibodies are one thing, the T cells in the background are really about preventing severity. And we have trained our T cells really well through a couple of different vaccinations. We've topped up with boosters. Many of us have topped up then with natural infection. In terms of T cell training, you're probably getting to the stage where you probably can't train them anymore. You know, Mm. they're going to really prevent that severity. So in terms of specific antibody, the question really would be, should we be waiting for boosters that are more specific? And that might look like a seasonal booster every winter to whatever variant might cause us a problem rather than keep on boosting with the current vaccine. So I think that's the question that needs to be answered. So we're hopefully at the end of the current phase of the crisis, but COVID is clearly not going anywhere. Do you think we're better prepared to deal with future outbreaks? And are the lessons that we've learned so far over the course of the pandemic likely to be remembered? We may be looking into the future where, you know, COVID becomes a seasonal virus that we deal with every year and we get some sort of a sense of what's what variant might cause us a problem and we're able to boost, if you like, in this and it'll be treated maybe in the same way as flu. It's not saying the virus is the same as flu, but we might treat it in the same way as we do seasonal flu. In terms of what we've learned, like 
talk about throwing in at the deep end. We were, we were all kind of, everybody was making it up as they went along because much and all as you prep for a major biological crisis, you don't know till you're in it and until what virus you're dealing with and how it's going to impact what you really need to do. So what we do have is we've built up, I suppose, a deep knowledge and IT infrastructure around tracing, testing, vaccination and have a lot of information on how to do things that can be applied in any situation, regardless of the virus that comes along. I think we've learned that having surge capacity in our healthcare system is really important. I would hate to see that when we come out of this kind of crisis phase of of COVID-19, that we end up in a situation where we all go back to normal and we don't worry about the what if or the surge capacity. And I think if one thing we need to come out with is that we need to be better prepared. So surge capacity in healthcare systems, we've learned a lot about air quality, ventilation. We've learned a lot about how, you know, we need to behave in certain circumstances. We've learned a lot about human behaviour. I think we've learned how adaptable we are when the chips are down and, and we know that there's a problem. So, you know, we will all go back to just behaving the same way that we did. People have said maybe in the last few months, oh, how will we ever be okay in a crowd again? Or how will we yeah. feel? I think as time goes on, those things will be normal. But the lessons learned are about the systems in place to manage a biological crisis. And I think that that's the bank of knowledge that we've built up. But I think we need to make sure that we do not move away from the preparedness in the background because COVID is not an issue anymore. They're the lessons that are important for the next time. And we would all hope that the next time is another 100 years away. Just one more thing, Christine. Everybody wants the pandemic to end. Like we're all willing it to end, but the virus doesn't care what we want. Now, is there any danger that we could be deluding ourselves into thinking that we're through the worst of it? Like, how do we know things aren't going to get worse? Is there any guarantees? There's no guarantees when you're dealing with the virus. We would hope the next variant is going to be as mild and not as impacting as Omicron. But there's always potential for another variant to rise that is going to be more dangerous. And that's where the preparedness comes is so that we are ready for that. We've developed a lot of science in terms of being able to quickly understand um, a new variant and a virus and even just our health systems in terms of tracking it and understanding its behaviour. All of those things will stand us in good stead for the next time. But we cannot be guaranteed that the next time will be as probably easy to deal with as Omicron. And when I mean easy to deal with, I mean that it's not impacting the same way as the other variants. And that's the big positive from this variant. So we would hope in the future that variants will continue to be milder or that Omicron might even just stay around and be the seasonal one that comes around every winter and it's mild for most people. And we'll develop a specific vaccine and just boost against it specifically every winter but we don't know. There are no guarantees. But I do know that we would be better prepared for the next one. Christine Losher, thanks very much for talking to us. That's it for today. This podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan. We'll be back on Friday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 